Hi, I'm Chelsea, the Christian Nutritionist. Welcome to the Christian Health Club podcast. We are here to fire you up in spirit, mind, and body so that you can get out into the world and be everything God created you to be. Welcome to the club. Here we go. Hello, my friend. Welcome back to the club. How are you today? As you know, one of my favorite things to study is the way that our body works in relation to creation. Today's guest has written a fascinating book called Nature Wants Us to Be Fat, which um, doesn't sound very nice of nature, (laughs) but is in fact a very purposeful biological mechanism meant to support our body's metabolic needs. However, as with so many things, we humans can throw a monkey wrench into this process, which can cause us to store more fat than we need. Today, we're going to talk about this process, where we go wrong, and how we can turn off this fat switch. Our guest is Dr. Rick Johnson, who is a professor of medicine at the University of Colorado. He is board certified in internal medicine, infectious diseases, and kidney disease, and is the founding editor of Comprehensive Clinical Nephrology, one of the main textbooks on kidney disease. For more than 20 years, Dr. Johnson has led research on the cause of obesity and diabetes, and his latest research on Alzheimer's related to fructose uric acid was recently published in the American Journal of Clinical Nutrition. All that to say, he is an expert and authority on this topic, and I am delighted to have him with us today. Welcome, Dr. Johnson, to the Christian Health Club podcast. Hi, Chelsea. It's wonderful to be on your uh, on your podcast. And yeah, you know, the first thing to tell everyone is, you know, if you're a little bit overweight, don't feel too bad because nature really wants us to be fat. So... Um, <laughs> So, you know, the first thing is don't, don't take any blame here. We're going to we're going to talk about it, and how it happens and and uh, and and the, the uh, science and, you know, the discoveries behind this and, and how how you can try to, you know, keep your how we can beat beat nature and and uh, and really keep, uh, a, you know, get get healthy again for those of you who want to lose weight. How did you come to kind of zero in on this specific um, research and work? Well, you know, as you, if from your introduction, you probably, as you, everyone's listening, they know that I'm actually a kidney specialist by, as my main specialty. And that seems like it's pretty far away from uh, weight gain, obesity, and diabetes, but they're actually fairly related, believe it or not. Um, and the, the route I took was uh, through my research. I basically studied something, and when I found, uh, you know, new new discoveries, it took me to a new area, and I just kept following it. And I was really interested in high blood pressure and what causes high blood pressure, and you know that's uh, linked with salt intake. And the, the theory was that the kidneys uh, have some problem getting rid of salt in people with high blood pressure. 
and the salts retained and leads to an increase in blood pressure. So I was studying that, and that took me to a substance called uric acid, which tends to be high in people who have high blood pressure. And uh, we started studying it, and we realized that if we raised uric acid in animals, that they, uh, they also showed an increase in blood pressure. And so we realized that uric acid actually has a role in initiating hypertension. And then we said, well, what drives up the uric acid? And we found that, you know, you know, there's a lot of people who know that uric acid is the cause of gout and that alcohol can raise uric acid and uh, certain red meats, processed red meats and shellfish can. But there's a, it's not that well known, but sugar, sugar, high fructose corn syrup and table sugar also raise uric acid levels. And uh, people who have gout, this disease from uric acid, they actually know that they can't eat a lot of sweets or it might bring on an attack of gout. And uh, so we started studying sugar as a cause of high blood pressure. But when we were giving sugar to animals, they didn't just get high blood pressure. They developed uh, really obesity and uh, they got fat, they got fatty liver, they got high fats in their blood, they, they got uh, inflammation, they're, everything. There were a lot of things that happened. They became uh, pre-diabetic. And we realized that this is what some people call the metabolic syndrome, which is, unfortunately, it's like one quarter of our population have this problem. And it, it's sort of the, the, the precursor to developing a diabetes and frank obesity and uh, and and what it is is it's you know you you start getting pre-diabetic and gaining weight around the waist and so it's it's sort of uh, you know the slide you're sliding towards full obesity and diabetes it's kind of that precursor and sugar really is effective at 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 stimulating or in, in creating that that phenotype or that that way we look. And when we started studying the sugar, you know, we realized that part of it was that sugar and, and things like bread and rice and potatoes, they stimulate insulin and insulin puts fat in you. And so part of it was from that. But we did realize that there was another major driver uh, that was driving fat. And it was this substance called fructose. And fructose is a sugar that's part of table sugar. It's the why high fructose corn syrup has its name because it's got a lot of fructose in it. And we can get a lot of that sugar uh, with fructose by eating table sugar and high fructose corn syrup. And Chelsea, you probably know if you go to the grocery store, uh, you know, probably 70% of processed foods have sugar or high fructose corn syrup in it, along with salt and all these other things. So you know, if it's packaged, uh, it pro- it's got a good chance to have it sugar in it. You can look at the label, but that sugar and high fructose corn syrup turns out to be a major driver of obesity. And it, approximately one in six calories we eat uh, come from these added sugars. So about 15% of our calories. Some people, some children are eating more sugar. You know, they love tr- snacks and treats with sugar in it, soft drinks. And so, uh, you know, it, it turns out that uh, some kids are eating one quarter of their calories 
as added sugars. And it turns out that that, uh, that fructose triggers this metabolic syndrome. And it does it through a biologic, biologically, it, it triggers a process that makes you want to put on fat. Why would, I, I think a lot of people are, you know, understanding these days that sugar can cause, you know, obesity um, and some of these problems. Why would nature want us to be fat? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, so in the very beginning now, I, I've been studying this for a long time. So when we actually did these studies, it was around 2005. So like 20 years ago or so. And at that time, uh, people were just thinking sugar was uh, an empty calorie. Basically, it wasn't ne necessarily nutritious, but it wasn't, it didn't actually have a biologic action. You know, it was just extra calories. But what we, we did is we did experiments. We realized that fructose wasn't just a calorie. Fructose actually uh, triggers this biologic response where you get hungry, you start foraging for food, and you start looking for, uh, for food, you start eating more than you normally do, and you start storing fat. It's actually like a biologic process that's turned on. And so we, we said, well, why? Why would anyone want a food that makes you fat and pre-diabetic? I mean, that doesn't make sense, right? But in nature... It's all about survival. And it turns out that, you know, if you're, if you're an animal or you're a bird and you don't, suddenly there's very little food around, you have to live off the fat you have. And, uh, you know, we, we know this. We, we know this from the stories of those bears that hibernate. You know, in the winter, there's not much food around. It's cold. Yeah, there's, you know, the trees are bare, the animals are hiding, you know. It's very hard to get uh, adequate food in winter. So some animals move, up, move out of that area. You know, they migrate, for example. But a lot of animals have to kind of weather it, find a way to survive. And so what they do is they find a place to hibernate. And when they do that, they... They drop their met metabolic rate. They, they drop their heart rate down to like, you know, 30 or in some animals will drop it down. So it's almost, they're almost like rocks. We study these uh, hibernating squirrels and they, they almost, be they become hard. I mean, you can pick them up. They're almost like a, they almost feel like a rock when they're hibernating and they drop their temperature uh, and they drop their metabolism, but they're still alive. And what they do is they live off their fat during the winter. And while they're living off their fat, they use the fat to break it down, not just to make calories, you know, energy, but to keep them alive. But they also get water. For, when they break down fat, they produce water. Because when you break down fat, you produce carbon dioxide and water. So they... They release a little bit of carbon dioxide, and at the same time, they generate a little water, which they need. So uh, fat turns out to be a survival mechanism. It's, it helps animals survive. If you, if you, uh, you know, go sailing 
and you see these beautiful dolphins jumping and or whales. If you're lucky to ever see a whale, um, and I've had the fortune of seeing whales from my sailboat when, when I lived in Seattle, um, those whales are mammals that they, they need fresh water, but they're living in the ocean, right? So the ocean's very salty. The water is too salty for the whale to drink. So the way the whale gets its water, they get about two-thirds of it from eating food, you know, because the food will contain water in it, fresh water, some water. You can get water out of, out of the food. But about one-third of the water they get from their fat. So the whale has a ton of fat. They're the fattest animals in the world. And one reason is it, you know, insulates them so that when they dive into the cold water, they can insulate them. That's, everyone kind of understands that. But they also use the fat to provide them with energy and water. And so fat becomes a survival pathway for the whale. If you go into the desert, You'll see these little mice running around, or and they they often have fat tails. I don't know if you ever noticed this. They're even called fat-tailed mice, you know. And there's also like these uh, fat-tailed lemurs, these uh, little primates that live in Madagascar. They have fat tails, and the reason they have that is that they live in areas where it can get really hot, and then there's not much water around. And so what they do is, uh, like the lemurs will actually hibernate during the summer, during the hot season. And they do that uh, during the hot and dry season where there's not much water around. And they use the fat in their tails to, to break it down to make water for them to survive. And they drop their metabolic rate, sort of like a hibernating animal. So it's pretty interesting. And, um, and they use that to survive. So fat was meant to, the reason animals store fat is to help them. And in fact, uh, all animals carry some fat. All of us carry some fat, 10% of body fat. And if you're going to be pregnant, uh, pregnant women will, women will store more, a little more fat than men anyway, because they have to have energy for their baby. So, uh, you know, if you, if you have too little fat, you're going to, women will have trouble getting pregnant. You have to have enough fat to help the baby make it, you know. The, so uh, fat is not bad. All of us who run around and say, oh, geez, I want to be super skinny. Maybe you'll look better. But uh, there's even studies, Chelsea, that if you're a little bit, as you get older, it's actually a slight advantage to have a little bit of extra weight. So if you are 70 years old, you actually live a little longer if your body mass index or what we call BMI is in slightly overweight range. So if you're like 20, have a BMI of 26 or 27, so you're not obese but you you have a little extra fat, you actually live longer. And especially like if you're unfortunate and you get cancer or you have some kind of disease, uh, you know, having a little bit of extra fat helps you live longer. If you're on dialysis, there is this realization that having a little extra fat actually can help you 
live longer. So nature wants us to be fat. Uh, Nature wants us to have enough fat to survive. And and so, uh, so the way it works is animals search for fructose. Like in the fall, fructose is is also in fruit, which we know of as healthy, and it's healthy for those those uh, bears because they eat so much fruit that they actually can store fat. The fructose actually, it's not the the fructose so much that causes the fat, but fructose makes you hungry, so you eat more. So the fructose isn't really creating the fat as much as it's just creating the hunger. And then you eat more than you need. So the mm-hmm. way it works, like uh, like people who are trying to lose weight, a lot of them will go on a low carb diet, and uh, and and that will help reduce the amount of fructose you get exposed to, because fructose is a carb, right? So uh, so that's that's good. But now there are a couple of real questions. The first one is. Aren't natural fruits healthy? And they are. And you should eat natural fruits. And you're not going to get fat by just eating regular whole fruits. Um, unless you you eat like a bear and eat 10,000 grapes in one setting, then you're going to get fat, okay? So if you eat a bunch of bananas like these monkeys that try to gain weight or like uh, the orangutan will eat, you know, 200 fruit. In, a, in one afternoon. If you do something like that, you're going to gain weight, okay? But if you just eat a few fruit, you're not going to gain weight because there's just not enough fructose in there. Plus, there's fiber and things that slow how rapidly you absorb that fructose. Plus, there's all these other things in fruit, like vitamin C and all these great vitamins and things we call flavanols and Many of these things counter the effects of fructose. And in fact, in nature, there's, it's sort of interesting. When fruit first develop, you know, is, is maturing, it's very tart and there's not much sugar in it initially. So the birds don't want to eat it because there's not much fructose in there because it's, it's still immature fruit. And it has high vitamin C and the vitamin C tends to fight to uh, counter the fructose. So uh, birds aren't going to want to eat the fruit when it's not mature. But as the fruit ripens, uh, then it gets sweeter and then it becomes attractive to the bird. And it's good for the plant because at that point, the seeds have matured to the point that they will make new plants. And so uh, it's almost like nature wants us Nature wants you to eat the fruit when it's ripe so that the trees can continue to 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 grow and and pass their seeds and uh, the birds will eat the fruit and then pass the seeds in their poop and and then the seeds will germinate and form new trees. And so it's kind of meant for birds and animals to eat the fruit when it's ripe and that's good for the for the bird that has to migrate. Uh, and it's good for the tree. So it's all about nature and, and, you know, how the beauty of life, the incredible aspects of life. And, uh, and so this was our initial work, which uh, suggested that 
the cause of obesity was fructose and it's from eating. And the problem is, is that we're now eating a huge amount of fructose. We're not eating just like a little bit of fruit in the fall. Instead, what we're doing is we're, we're eating sugar puffs and, you know, candies and cakes and ice cream and all these things that are sweet and delicious. And what's happening, that's making us hungry and eat more. And then it's the, the fatty foods that actually drive weight gain because there's so many calories in them. But the fructose makes us hungry to eat them. So it's really a combination of fruit and fat or fructose and fat that drives it. And then when you go on a low-carb diet, you can eat the high-fat foods because you can control your appetite because you're not making, you don't have the fructose. So that's sort of where we were for a long time. And then we had a bad discovery, Chelsea. You know what that was? What? <laughs> well, we found out that the body can make fructose. It isn't just about eating sugar. So, you know, when, the, when, we, when it first came out, we said, ah, you know what? This is the cause. It's fructose and, and, and sugar. And gosh, we can cure obesity just by, you know, you can eat your carbs. Just don't eat sugar. But uh, there were a lot of people who told me that they couldn't get away with uh, eating a lot, you know, things like bread and rice and uh, potatoes could really make them fat. And it was kind of a struggle for me because bread doesn't have a lot of sugar in it. Rice doesn't have any sugar in it. Potatoes don't have any sugar. It's all starch. Starch is glucose, not fructose. So starch, when it breaks down, it makes glucose. And there was this theory that glucose could cause obesity by stimulating insulin. So maybe there were two, it seemed like there were two mechanisms for obesity, uh, a glucose mechanism that goes through insulin and a fructose mechanism. And there's still a lot of people who, who really believe that. And I, I think it is basically true. But what we discovered was that there, that unfortunately glucose can be converted, can be converted to fructose in the body. So you can eat a potato and it doesn't have fructose in it, but in your liver is converting the glucose from the potato into the fructose. It's pretty amazing. Mm. And we, we actually showed that in animals oh so many times. And then it was also shown in, in humans humans can convert glucose to fructose. So in diabetics who have high glucose levels, you know, diabetes is associated with high glucose levels in the blood and they get high fructose levels, even though they're not eating fructose. And it's because when the glucose levels go up in the blood, they start making fructose. And, you know, I don't know if you've, heard about this, I guess you probably know, but there are a lot of people who run, run around with these things called CGMs or continuous glucose monitors. And they are these little devices that you can put in your arm and they measure the blood glucose real in real time, like 24-7. And you don't even have to be diabetic. And a lot of people just want to know what their blood glucose is. And so they they try to avoid eating foods 
that can make their glucose levels go up. So, for example, like I, I was given one, and they're wonderful, by the way. Uh, they're just wonderful. And uh, so, like, if I eat a potato, I can see how much my blood glucose goes up. And, you know, if I eat a potato on in the middle of the afternoon in which there's no other food, my glucose levels can go up pretty significantly. Uh, and maybe they go from like 100 to 140 or something, 150. And that's enough to make fructose. So I know I'm making fructose. So that's not good. But if, for example, like if I eat a piece of bread and I put avocado on top, like avocado spread, like guacamole or something, if I do that, then the, uh, the avocado slows the absorption of the bread. And so uh, my glucose levels, I get the same amount of glucose, but it's, I absorb it so slowly that the blood level never really goes up. And so I, I don't make as much fructose. So there are these tricks when you, when you have one of these monitors, you can kind of figure out what foods you can eat and you find out that it isn't just what food you can eat, but how you should eat it. You know, so if you eat uh, something that raises the glucose, but you eat it in the middle of a meal, it will raise the glucose less. So, you know, a lot of us go out to dinner. I'm sure you've gone out to dinner where they bring the bread by. Do you ever have that where they bring a basket of bread to you before the meal oh, comes? Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and usually it's like this hot, fresh beautiful it smells good they bring it with a little butter sometimes people put bring honey butter which has got sugar in it basically and then you you uh eat the bread first and it feels so good and it tastes so good and you're waiting for dinner so you eat another piece you've had that happen haven't you <laughs> oh yeah and then you eat so much you're not really hungry for your dinner exactly so the trouble is is uh you know if you eat the bread first it, there's nothing to block the absorption, you know, it, it, or to slow the absorption. So what happens is the the glucose levels go up really fast. And then you're making a lot of fructose and you're actually triggering this biologic switch to put on fat. But think about it. If you begin with the salad, which, uh, you know, is basically roughage, lettuce, carrots, uh, and that they're really healthy, and and they you get this food in you. And now, if you eat a piece of bread, the glucose level is not going to go up as high because you've got all this other stuff in the stomach and intestines that slows the absorption of the bread. And so, uh, you make less fructose, and you and even though you're eating the same amount of food, so one person is. I, I want to do this experiment, actually. Uh, give bread first or give bread in the middle. Or here's another one. You know, you, if you, you know um, I tend to, in the, in the way I was raised, is you would eat dinner, do the dishes, and then, you know, an hour later, you'd get dessert if you had dessert. And so we, we would space out the time between dinner and kind of let things settle down. Then we would eat the dessert often with like a cup of coffee or something. I don't know if you do it that way, but um, if you do it that way, then the dessert will be absorbed more rapidly because uh, if you've already 
pass the food through that you've already eaten for dinner, then the dessert's going to get absorbed faster than if you just ate the d- dessert at the end of dinner. And so, you know, w- what I've learned is that it's the type of ingestion that can make a difference. So we, you know, to really hammer this, we did do a study where we gave juice. Now, juice is a little bit funnier than fruit because fruit doesn't have so many, much fructose in it. But when you make juice, the juice has many fruit in that one glass. So it could, it could have like the equivalent of three or four fruit. And then you drink it like super fast. Juice goes down fast. It just tastes so good. You just, just drink it right down. And so you can get a lot of sugar in a very short period of time. You get a fair amount of fructose in a very short amount of time. So uh, we knew from studies that we did in people that if you drink a big, tall glass of apple juice, it's sort of like drinking a soft drink, and you're going to activate this you know, biologic pathway to gain weight. So we thought, well, what if we gave the juice slowly, you know, like over an hour uh, instead of five minutes? So we ended up doing the study in people where you either drank the same amount of juice in five minutes or in an hour. And then we, we looked at special tests that could tell us if the switch was being activated, the switch to make us fat. And you got it. If you drank it in five minutes, you activated the switch like big time. And if you drank it over an hour, it was pretty much just the calories. That's all you were getting. So, uh, so it's kind of cool. Once you understand the science, you can sort of figure out how to eat your cake without getting fat uh, by just trying to, uh, to reduce the, the excursions of glucose and, you know, eat it. On the other hand, it's probably better if you don't eat cake every day, right? It's probably, <laughs> I think most probably. everyone would agree with me that, you know, so if you are a secret cake-aholic or cake addict, um, you, you can try this trick, but you're going to, your best results are going to be by reducing the amount of cake you eat. And uh, intermittent fasting, low-carb diets are really great. And the low-carb diet is particularly good because uh, it's not just the fructose we eat. Fructose are, you know, sugar and high fructose corn syrup. But car- anything that has a lot of glucose in it, like starchy foods, will also make fructose. So a low-carb diet reduces both. So you really kind of, it's like a winning ticket. But I like the Mediterranean diet. Uh, I have a, in my book, I... I talk about all the, these foods, the good foods and the bad foods and what the evidence is, and some tricks to not gaining weight and, uh, and some tricks to losing weight. And uh, so anyway, so. What, why do you think our body does that? What is the advantage of um, the glucose turning into fructose? Yeah. So, so let's just talk about it. So, so in, in this world where um, it's often very difficult uh, to survive, and, and, and you know, with, with all the environmental things going on, the forest fires and the heat waves, it's just, um, it can be very difficult if you're, if you're living out there in the woods and you're an animal 
to, to, you know, be able to make it. And so, um, being able to make fructose and or eat fructose can be a lifesaver. Uh, there's these uh, animals that, like deer, a lot of them will will seek salt licks. I don't know if you ever know about this, but animals, a lot of animals like salt. And they'll actually try to find places where there's salt. And then they'll lick it. It's called like a salt lick. And it's actually sodium chloride. It's basically the same thing as table salt. And and of course, when you when you're licking salt, you're going to get thirsty. And and why would an animal want to be thirsty? Well, it turns out that uh, salt is another way to stimulate fructose production. So salt activates the the chemical reaction that converts glucose to fructose. So you still have to have glucose around, but then if you, if you eat salt, it helps convert the glucose to fructose. So what I'm telling you is that if I gave you a French fry that had no salt on it, and I gave you a French fry with salt on it, even though the salt has no calories, the salt, the salted French fry is going to make you store fat better because it's going to help convert that glucose in the, in the potato to fructose. So that's, yeah. So it turns out someone, someone wrote that French fries are the number one food that's most linked with obesity, French fries and potato chips. So that's the number one, (laughs) the number one offender, according to some studies. (laughs) And, uh, and it, you know, it, it generates this fructose, and then you know the potato also gets coated with oil and fat. You know, so the um, so you're getting your fat in your carbs and your salt that helps convert the carb to fructose, all in one. And it tastes so good. I used to eat a whole bag of French fries almost like it just took like a few minutes, you know, a couple minutes, and they were gone. Because they just tasted so good. Have you? Have you? Uh, what do you think of French fries? I know that they're not good, but they're hard not to stop eating, right? Exactly. That's why. Yeah, I try not to start because it's really hard to stop. Yeah, it's the same thing with like these potato chips, like these salt and vinegar chips and things like that. You eat one and they taste so good, you just want to keep eating them. Anyway, it turns out that the tastes we have. So we have a a taste for sweet and we have a taste for salt and we also have a taste for savory foods called umami. And it turns out that all three are trying to get us to eat foods that will help us store fat. And it probably just goes way back in the times of nature when it was really important to have enough fat to survive. And so probably there was, uh, you know, if you're in a famine and you have uh, a little more weight than the person next to you, you're, you're more likely to live longer. And they showed that, you know, more or less in World War II uh, in Holland, where there was a big famine um, and the women who had more fat were able to carry babies better. Um, and, uh, you know, because it was so difficult. But anyway, so fat, fat can be a good thing. 
And and so the answer to your question is, you know, uh, fructose turns out to be the way that animals use to 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 activate this thing, and they get it from fruit, but they can also get it from carbs. And the reason deer eat love salt licks is presumably because this helps them convert the you know the poor quality carbs they get from the grass they eat to help convert it to fructose. And there's data showing that salt licks actually help deer gain weight. Um, and so probably they're, they're seeking it out to help them, to help them gain weight. There's a, there's it, a, oh, go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. There's, well, there's this I, little guy. Yeah, go, you go ahead. Yeah. Well, I just find it, I think it's important to consider how you know, like with these animals, right? Nobody has to go up to a bear and say, hey, bear, winter's coming. You better stock up on your food. You know, what <laughs> What are the mechanisms? I mean, the, there's the availability of um, the fructose because of all the fruit, right? Um, right? And it's the time, the timing of the, this is always the thing that fascinates me is that, you know, fructose is more prevalent in the summer and the late fall. That's when it is ripe. That right. I know that is a tr- you know that is a environmental trigger to um, inform the bear that oh this is the time of year I, I need to eat up but you know there's like those other things you said the metabolism starts slowing down um, to conserve yep. energy all those things nobody is has you know that is happening automatically and right. so I think this you know this this is what I love is like thinking about our body in relation to creation and how we're you know, yeah. how, how the sun, you know, the sun is what makes these plants grow. They're more proliferative in the yeah. summer and the fall. And that is, you know, what's yeah. informing the bear. That's, this is the time yeah. to eat. And then it goes it's, in the cold winter and the body's slowing down. So is there, yeah. you know, speak more to yeah, that. There's, I, I, yes. So, there's, so there are these other signals and, and a lot of people have studied it. And some of the signals include, um, you know, the changing in, in in the temperature, the change in the arc of the sun, you know, there's a lot of uh, thoughts about what triggers some of these changes. It isn't just the fructose and fruit. And some animals don't eat fruit, but they still can hibernate like, the, or they don't eat a lot of fruit. Um, and so there, there are other mechanisms that are driving this. We think that fructose is involved in all of them. But um, but it can be the fructose you make, not so much the fructose that uh, you find. Uh, but there, it's uh, life is a mystery, and as you know, um, nature uh, knows a lot more than we do. God knows more than we do, and so it's uh, you know there's a lot that we 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 don't know, and um, and it's just an amazing world. Now, one thing that can trigger uh, things is, um, it, you know, when you eat salt, it actually makes you slightly dehydrated. And, and I say that because you'll get thirsty and you get thirsty because when you eat salt, the salt goes into your blood and that raises the salt concentration briefly. And then what happens is that stimulates thirst and then you drink water and then that brings the salt concentration back to normal and you're, you're fine. And it turns out that that increase in salt concentration in the blood can triggers that enzyme 
that chemical reaction to make fructose. So there's this beautiful little guy that lives in the desert. He's the, they call him the desert rat, the desert sand rat. And it lives like, uh, especially in Egypt, it lives uh, in Israel. In fact, some of the, some of the studies have been in Israel and it lives in these little areas where, you know, particularly salty marshes uh, close to the uh, Mediterranean and, and uh, where the, the water is very salty and the plants have a lot of salt content. And these guys were, are eating all this salt all day long. And we believe that they're using it to help convert the few carbs they get into fructose to help them store their energy. And, and they've kind of up turned on all the systems to, for survival because it's such a tough area to live. But if you capture them and you bring them into, uh, you know, and make them a pet, for example, and then you start feeding it just a little bit of regular food, it rapidly becomes obese and diabetic. So its nickname is the fat sand rat. And so people have found it amazing because the animal will become diabetic just in a few days with just normal food. But what we think is going on is that this guy has learned how to survive in, in an extremely difficult environment by trying to make all this fructose and surviving off this salty food and the, being mildly dehydrated. And then when it, you bring it into the regular world and just a little bit of regular foods enough to, to tip it over to become fat diabetic. And so, uh, you know, we can learn a lot. And, and so we also know this will, you'll like this, Chelsea. What we've learned is that mild dehydration can stimulate fat production. So in animals, if I, if I just make them mildly dehydrated, not severely dehydrated, if they're severely dehydrated, they want to break down what fat they have to make water. Because remember, the fat can produce water. But if they're just mildly dehydrated, it's like a stimulus to, to eat. And, you know, um, you know, you know this. When you eat salt, you get thirsty, but you also tend to eat more. It's like stimulates food intake. And so, uh, you know, salted chips are not just taste good, but they'll, they'll tend to increase food intake. So, uh, so it turns out that water, drinking water, can counter this. And when people, when we, when we and others did studies of people who are overweight, they tend not to drink enough water and they tend to eat too much salt. So it's not just eating sugar, it's eating salt and it's being slightly dehydrated and that stimulates food intake. And so what we did is we took animals and we gave them water and we could block, reduce their, their ability to become fat in response to sugar. So drinking water could block some of that. And also we, we did a study in people where we gave salty soup and you can put a lot of salt in soup and people don't recognize it. And then they would, uh, they could activate this switch to become fat. We could show it in their blood tests, but if we gave water with the soup, we could prevent that. And so drinking water, you know, you Chelsea, you've seen all these people running around with bottles of water and they, they carry a bottle with them everywhere they go. Are you one of those types? I am. I always have water with me. And I bet you you're not overweight. 
I'm not. I'm not overweight, <laughs> thankfully. <laughs> well, it turns out it turns out that drinking water, uh, you like, you know, the old they call it a myth. It's not a myth. Drinking eight cups a day will help you lose weight. And if you could just drink a glass of water before each meal, I can guarantee everyone in this who's listening to me that they're going to lose a little weight just by doing that one simple trick. Now, don't drink a huge amount of water because you, you can get water intoxicated. <clears throat> you know, I mean, it's possible if, you, if you're drinking gallons of water, that's not good. But if you're drinking like eight glasses a day, good for you. Yeah, and, you know, and if you're working outside in the sun, you may want to drink a little more. If you're running a marathon, though, don't only drink to thirst because there are, there's a syndrome where marathon runners can retain water. So, but anyway, yeah. Let me ask you yeah. this because I'm um, I'm often and well. First of all, I want everybody everybody hear this that if you are dehydrated, that can stimulate fat production. So that right there is your reason to drink water. One thing I've often recommended that I recommend to people and I do um, almost on a daily basis is try to include an electrolyte, drink some electrolytes um, along with my water. Yeah. And so this, which includes salt. Um, so I speak to that and what is that a problem? Is that going to make us gain weight if we're drinking these um, salty electrolytes? Well, if you're drinking the salty electrolytes without enough water, yes, it could activate this. So if you raise, if you are drinking enough, or if you're taking enough salt that you're feeling thirsty, then you're not drinking enough water. And and the best is not to feel the thirst because as soon as you feel you're thirsty, you actually have already activated the switch. So if you... So my recommendation is to drink enough. You know, electrolytes are great. We do need salt. So I'm not telling you not to drink, to eat salt, but just take it with water. There's, okay, you good. know, for example, uh, if you happen to go into a bar and you eat salted pretzels and then you're thirsty and then you drink, you're activated the switch. But let's say that you would like to eat those pretzels, but you don't. You know they're not good for you, but you want to eat a few. Drink water first so that you don't feel that thirst. So if, if you make the salt concentration come down a little bit and then you eat the salted pretzel, it's much less dangerous than if you eat the salted pretzel, get thirsty, and then drink because um, – you're already making fructose with the former and the other one you you're probably not. So it's, it's a little, yeah, isn't that tr tricky? It is. And I've heard, but I've also heard you say that um, it's more problematic when there's a lot of glucose in the diet. So I heard you speaking about, you know, being on a low carb diet, there's, um, you know, and drinking electrolyte drinks and, and having these and having salt and such, you're at less risk for, um, stimulating that, is it the polyol pathway, if I'm remembering correctly? Yeah, yeah, yeah um, you got it. But um, but it's when yeah. you have that high presence of glucose, then you're going to trigger that um, that switch into fructose. Is that right? Yeah. There's only one, one road to fructose uh, when you make it. It has to come from glucose. So when you when your body makes fructose, 
it comes from glucose. And glucose is a carb, really. And so when you're on a low-carb diet, you're not making, you don't get a lot of glucose, so you can't make a lot of fructose. Now, it's true that things like proteins and fat can be used to make some glucose, but you're making fairly small amounts. But when you eat a potato, you're getting a lot of glucose. So when you go on a low-carb diet, you don't have the glucose around. So even if you're eating salt uh, or things that can convert glucose to fructose, salt is sort of doesn't have as big an issue when you're on a low-carb diet because the salt uh, can't actually uh, make fructose because there's no glucose around. So it's like you need the two to play, you know? Yeah, if you're going to make fructose, you got to have glucose around for sure. And then you need to have some uh, thing that drives the reaction. Now, here's the, the bad news is if you eat a lot of glucose, that will you don't even need the salt. It will start making fructose. So that's why like the glucose monitor is such a cool thing because you can you can try to keep your glucose levels down. And that's why diabetes is such a problem if you if you're type 2 diabetic you will tend to make fructose when your glucose is not in good control uh, because it's you know when the glucose is high it's just going to start making fructose and so it, it's particularly tough if you're diabetic and and but now they have you know so many great diabetes medicines and you can get that hemoglobin a1c and your diabetes under control you know, you can have a very good life and you're probably not making very much fructose if you're in, if you're diabetic and good control. And, you know, a low-carb diet in uh, someone who's just becomes diabetic sometimes can cure the diabetes. You can sometimes get rid of the diabetes completely just by going on a low-carb diet. I would work with your physician if that's the case because, you know, like if you're on insulin and you go on a low-carb diet, you could end up with a low-glucose reaction. So be careful. But Low-carb low diets are, are very promising as a way to cure type 2 diabetes, um, yeah. especially when you first get it. This, this, um, this triggered from glucose to make fructose. I mean, I would have to think that would play a major, major role in fatty liver disease. Oh, it's huge. It's huge. In fact, when we were first studying this and we... Uh, Actually, I'll, I'll tell you a kind of a cool story. So we were giving sugar to laboratory animals and they were getting fatty liver. Okay, so like little lab rats. So I could make, I could make them get really bad fatty liver. So I, this is like 2002. So this is a long time ago. Or no, 2004. And I'm, I'm in Gainesville, Florida. And there's this fantastic young doctor who uh, is establishing her career and she went on for an illustrious career, but she, she gets up and she's uh, giving a conference to our uh, school, you know? And, and so I went to listen and she was talking about this new problem called fat, non-alcoholic fatty liver. And it's, you know, really wasn't around uh, before 1980. But uh, beginning around 1990, to it started being reported as being a common problem. And by the time 2000, it was like a major cause for liver failure. 
And it was typically people who are overweight or diabetic, and they're discovered to have slightly elevated uh, enzymes, liver enzymes, suggestive of a liver problem. Then they do an ultrasound, and they find fat in the liver. And then over a period of number of years, the liver suddenly becomes scarred down and what we call a cirrhotic liver, sort of like what can happen with alcohol. And people were dying from this. And so it was like people had to get liver transplants in order to survive sometimes. And so it's like this big problem. And she presented this and she said, you know, uh, no one really knows what the cause is. And so I went up to her afterwards and I said, hey, you know, when I give fructose to animals, they get fatty liver like within a few, you know, within a month. And so uh, so she started studying this with me. And we, we had the very first report that, sh- that these people who were developing it, that many of them were drinking soft drinks. It turned out there was a very strong relationship. And we went on later to show that this was probably the number one risk factor for fatty liver was uh, fructose intake. And today it's now recognized there's like a, maybe a thousand papers on it. And we studied it extensively, but that's how it's, that's how the discovery started. It was because I, you know, we happened to be in there and, you know, we're aware that uh, of this association. And then we looked at it. That's amazing. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Very cool. Well, I, you know, you, with the non-alcoholic fatty liver, I mean, I know I've heard people recommend to those people, you know, now that we had that fructose connection, you know, be like, don't eat fruit, don't eat fruit, don't eat, you know, obviously don't drink sodas and don't um, eat fruit. But um, that somebody that has that might be doing those things, but still eating a bunch of glucose and then right. creating that fructose. So that is, there's that connection that people yes, actually, don't yeah. know. Right. The bread and the rice and the potatoes are a bigger risk than natural fruits. As I mentioned, just eating natural fruits, you know, if you're eating like a normal number of them, it's, it's good, not bad. We actually done studies. Uh, small amounts of natural fruit actually are good. And, and um, whereas uh, drinking fruit juice and Eating certain fruits like figs, which are really rich in sugar, don't do that. So it's oh, I love you know, figs. <laughs> <laughs> I know it's a disappointment, isn't it? Anyway, uh, I will tell you, you know. So when we when when we realized that fatty liver was really linked with fructose, the guy that was working with me, a brilliant doctor working in my lab, he was from China, uh, and he was. He's was a he is an incredible scientist, and he says to me, you know, my son who's in college just got diagnosed with fatty liver, and uh, and I said, you know, is he drinking a lot of soft drinks? He says, yeah, he is. So uh, his wife was actually an ultrasound technician, so she could monitor him pretty much for free by you know because he he could just swing by after work and he she could just take a look. And, and so he, we put him on a, took the soft drinks out of his diet and cut out the sugar. And his fatty liver melted away. It just disappeared in two months. It was like unbelievable. And that was what triggered me to write my first book was, oh, my God, you know, this is, this is the main driver. 
Uh, and now we know that you can make fructose and there are other mechanisms, but that was how it started. And so the fat switch is, you know, this fructose. And I think, you know, right. fructose is more seasonally available in the summer, in the late fall. And so we can go back and connect that to, you know, nature's way of this protective mechanism of want driving, you know, animals yeah. or maybe even driving people. I mean, historically, you know, people would have been at risk for, um, you know, poor food availability. We don't have that problem today. We have anything we want 24 seven, but for us to, to have all that kind of extra carb, carbohydrate, especially fructose to kind of, you know, stock up for the winter. And then you go in the winter and, and there's not supposed to be that much available because it's winter, it's frozen. There's very few fruits available. And so that would kind of turn off the the fat switch, right? Because you're burning it, right. you're burning it off as energy through the winter. Our problem right. is, is that because we have constant availability and all of these processed foods, the high fructose corn sugar um, for one or in syrup is our switch never gets turned off. It's like, com right. it's on all the time. And that is really the right. crux of the problem and all the availability yep. of the 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 other foods too the the potatoes and the the yeah, bread right. and the rice and and all of right. that together is just keeping our our fat switch flipped up on yeah <laughs> right yeah, you, exactly I mean you could say that um, that God and nature designed us to you know to, to try to protect us and they set up the you know this the, this incredible system and uh, unfortunately uh, we have learned how to we have food 24 hours a day and, and we have grocery stores now that bring in, keep the fruit there all year round. Uh, I just bought some strawberries yesterday, uh, you know, and it's, you know, here it is March, you know, and normally you wouldn't think you could get strawberries in March, but, you know, at least a hundred years ago. So, uh, yeah, so you can get these foods year round and thousands of them. And, it, and they, you know, there's like 30,000 types of foods you can buy, get in one grocery store. I mean, it's like amazing how much they have and how much sugar and high fructose corn syrup and high glycemic carbs. So yeah, we, we have uh, some challenges, but it, you know, behind it all is just this uh, importance to recognize how survival uh, is linked to having enough fat and how we, we actually try to, you know, we have systems, we have taste buds that try to drive us to pick foods that will actually help put fat on. And it was all, all meant to help us. But today, maybe it's not helping us as much as we would hope. In fact, it's doing the opposite. And it's increasing our risk for obesity and diabetes and fatty liver and high blood pressure and kidney disease and, uh, and heart disease. And so, uh, you know, we, we're kind of, a, uh, it's sort of a, a, a punishment of, 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 of success. You know, we've been successful at, um, we, we've been so successful at being able to get the foods we need that now we, we can eat all these foods that were meant to help us, but now we're, we're eating so many that it increases our risk for obesity and diabetes. It is. I also, if you have just a, a, a few more minutes, because I think the mechanism of um, the fructose kind of 
suppressing i'm is maybe would you call that the right word the mito- mitochondrial function um, yes. a little bit and creating more of that reactive oxygen species i mean there are like serious inner mechanisms happening that are are creating our body to to partition more of that food coming in towards fat correct right that's right so the i'll just explain this real quick the way it works is is uh we eat food to make energy and energy is what we use to do everything we want and energy in our bodies is often uh considered called atp that's the the currency or the energy we make it's called atp and we we're always making atp whenever we eat and the classic thinking is that you know once our atp is full the excess extra energy goes into fat and fat is actually a type of stored energy and so if you eat too much and you don't burn it it that extra energy instead of uh, going to the atp once the gasoline tanks full then what happens is the extra gets turned into stored energy or fat but what the way fructose works is it's a trick fructose actually blocks the production of atp and so that's made it, most of the atp is made in these things called mitochondria and the fructose uh, causes kind of like an oxidative stress to the mitochondria that reduces the amount of atp produced so then when it would less atp produced what happens is the energy we eat gets shunted to fat and uh and fructose also blocks the fat from produce from being converted to atp so it goes into the stored fat or fat but there's less being broken down to the atp so the atp levels stay low and when the atp levels are low it kind of a lot it's like an alarm signal it says hey i don't have enough energy so i'm i'm going to eat more to try to fix that so it's sort of what stimulates the animal to eat more so they eat more and so they're taking in more calories but instead of replacing the atp the mitochondria are suppressed so most of those calories are going to fat so it's a brilliant system basically it tricks us into thinking we're starving but we're not we actually have plenty of energy it's just stored as fat but because it's blocking us to break down the fat and keep and it keeps those atp levels low it makes us think that we're you know that's why we get hungry and we eat more and it's all this trick it's just like reducing it's like it's like when you're driving and you see that sign on your dashboard that says uh low low uh gas you know low in gas or whatever it says something you know that you need to get uh more fuel uh it's like that alarm it's like oh i can't i'm gonna have to drive slower and you know and try to get find a gas station i've got to go into a protection mode where's the next station and uh you know that's sort of what's like what happens here the atp levels go down it says hey you're at risk of running out of energy you better get some food right away you know and so you uh start searching and you get hungry and you look for your food but actually the gas tank is full it's just that you don't know it and so because although there's not enough atp you've got a lot of stored energy which is fat and you just keep adding to that yeah 
It is. It's a fascinating mechanism. And I, you know, I like to point that out to people. There are, it is, it's a more nuanced and complicated than just kind of this calories in, calories out. Um, right. And calories definitely, you know, we don't want to eat more energy than we need, which is really what I try to tell people instead of thinking of it in calories. Calories are energy. Our body, we just don't want more energy than we need, which will be stored. But also we need to help our body uh, facilitate this mitochondrial function so that we can make the ATP and our body does have the energy we need immediate, right in the immediate time. Um, and so we're not storing so much of it. But um, yeah. it is just all so fascinating. Well, thank you so much for inviting me to be on your show. Thank you for coming. Before I let you go, I need to ask you two quick questions or the anchor questions I ask all my guests. And the first one is, what is your anchor meal, your favorite go-to healthy meal? Oh, well, I like steel oats, which are low glycemic carbs. And I put a little bit of berries on them. And it's uh, and then I I love chia, which is a low carb, uh, a low glycemic carb. Uh, you can make this kind of like a pudding, uh, and I like that kind of food. I love salads. Uh, I in fact I'm probably headed out to to a luncheon right now where I'm going to have a salad. So excellent, excellent. All right. Well, how about how about an anchor verse? Do you have a favorite Bible verse or one that is speaking to you presently? Well, I like the Lord's Prayer, so I can I can say that one to you. And also, I I, I should, you know, I just want to mention that I do have a book. This, as you mentioned, Nature Wants Us to Be Fat. If you're interested, my website is drrichardjohnson.com, and uh, and you can find a lot of information about me there. And the book, uh, Nature Wants Us to Be Fat, is available pretty much through any bookstore. So here's, here's my uh, Lord's Prayer. Uh, it's the one that I, you know, lived by. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive them that trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, power, and glory forever and ever. Amen. Oh, just perfect. Perfect way to close this down. Thank you so much, Dr. Johnson, for your time and, and all of your valuable contribution. I appreciate it so much. Uh, thank you, too. Uh, I really appreciate being on your show. And as a scientist, I can tell you, I do really believe in God. And I believe in, I'm a Christian and very, very happy to be on your show. Oh, thank you so much. And thank you everyone for listening. Have a healthy and blessed week. And I will talk to you soon. Remember that my mom is an awesome nutritionist, but she's not a doctor. The information in this podcast is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent disease. Always talk to your doctor before making changes to your nutrition or exercise program. Thanks for listening. Have a healthy and blessed week.